Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. Martin McDonough, director of Seven Psychopaths and In Bruges, has put out his third feature film. Within the last few weeks, it has finally gone wide enough for me to be able to see it here in Pittsburgh. And Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri is pretty good. It's pretty damn good. There's been a lot of buzz about it as one of the best picture frontrunners. Uh, it has uh, pretty real, real, real and uh, impressive critical standing. Uh, you know, it's got like a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, and you know, Metacritic loves it, and it's it's gotten it's gotten a lot of buzz. And so, I mean, I, I obviously you know it's impossible at this point in the year to really go into a movie like this without taking some of the baggage with you. You know, the same can be said for. Uh, Call Me By Your Name and The Shape of Water and The Post when they, those finally make their way toward me. And so that kind of colors the expectations for this kind of a film. It's supposed to be amazing. It's supposed to be one of the best films of the year. And that that changes how you look at a movie, I think. Uh, subtly or, or overtly, one way or the other, you, you can't escape it. It's very... You know, even if you've never seen the trailer or the poster, even if you don't know anything about the movie or who's in it, you know, if if you're ingrained enough into, you know, talking about movies and, you know, the the cinematic world, you know, if you listen to movie podcasts or if you're on film websites like IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes and Letterboxd and, and, and you can't, you know that other people out there love this movie. You know that it's gotten a lot of good reviews from a lot of different people, and so you can't not be aware that this is just going to be one of those movies that people are going to talk about that's going to get a lot of press and a lot of awards nominations and and focus over the next, like, two to three months. And for better or worse, uh, I, I find that I, I don't know, it's tough because movies like that I find to be very difficult to pigeonhole. And not that not that I think that they should be able to be pigeonholed. I, I don't think you should really be able to do that with any movie. But it does it makes I think it makes watching and and re, um, reflecting on this kind of a movie difficult. But I'm going to try and uh, do as best I can. Do as best I can. So let's see what we've got. Firstly, uh, this is... I To kind of give you an idea, I am a huge fan of In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths. And probably... In, I, I, I loved In Bruges. I think, it's, I think it's great. But I have always remembered and enjoyed Seven Psychopaths more... Now, I've only seen each of them once, so I think, I, I definitely feel as though I'm in the minority as far as ranking psychopaths ahead of in Bruges, and I might have to revisit that in the near future to adjust that uh, accordingly, 
because I don't know. We'll see. I I, I just th- I think Seven Psychopaths is absolutely hilarious, uh, and uh, I stand by that. I do. And so I I kind of suspected that Three Billboards was going to tend more toward in Bruges in terms of tone, in terms of dynamics, in terms of characters and whatnot than Seven Psychopaths, and and that's correct. It it does. It's more. It's a darker movie. It's not as dark as in Bruges. It's not filled with such gray and and dreary, wet and rainy atmospheres that in Bruges is, but is definitely more of a dark. It's definitely a darker movie in terms of the subject matter, in terms of who the characters are and and their own issues and what they're bringing to the table. Uh, and the characters in this movie are fantastic. That doesn't mean that they're always three-dimensional. Uh, in fact, a, a few of them quite quite simply are not. And as it turns out, most of those characters are women, which is mildly problematic. Uh, I'm looking at uh, Samara Weaving's character, and uh, there's one other one as well that I can't put my finger on. Samara Weaving, at least, uh, she plays the new young hot girlfriend of John Hawkes, who is the ex-husband of Frances McDormand's character. And to, to her credit, uh, her, her line delivery and just the, the her, oh man, her, her line delivery and the line she gets and it, it's, it's just hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. But she is dumb as a bag of bricks. And... Really, that's all there is to it, and she's she gets you know two scenes where we really get to see her, and that's I don't know she she gets nothing besides being an awkward and ridiculously stupid idiot, and I, I mean that's I mean she's supposed to be nineteen in the movie, and I I think that they just kind of went way too far with the idea that she's just like a dumb teenager sort of thing but even saying that like she's her her the role she fills is hilarious and her lines and and whatnot are are very funny and she she nails those lines so it's not eh, i don't know like mark mcdonough's writing is just so good that he can kind of write his way out of a lot of the problems he puts himself into and I mean, I think some of the problems are from the writing itself. For instance, Samara Weaving's character. But even still, like, it's just it's it's incredible how funny some of these moments are when you look at the film as a whole and just how what it's talking about and like the the sen- sensitive social issues about uh, uh, rape and um, anger and racism and. Some of those are, are far more focused on than others, but they're there, they're present, and yet this is one of the funnier films of the year, in fact. And to to its credit, as uh, although some of the characters may be a little underwritten, most of those characters are not. Uh, from Woody Harrelson to Sam Rockwell to Frances McDormand, even um, you know, even even Lucas Hedges has given uh, a strong character arc and Peter Dinklage, uh, they are all, you know, Caleb Landry-Jones, like, all of these characters get great moments and, and chances to 
really chew on their characters and while you may enter this film one way and particularly some of these characters you may enter uh, and and think one way about them and and I'll cite Sam Rockwell here as the biggest example he comes off very particularly on one side of the coin in the first maybe even two-thirds of the movie and yet by the end of the movie you are on his side you want the best for him you you know respect his character and he may not be perfect he may not be a good character uh, as far as his absolute value goes by the end of the movie but you can see that he is changing he is uh, taking the steps to better himself and that is a strength like again that's that's all McDonough's writing and as well as Sam Rockwell's performance like both both of those things in conjuncture lead you to this fantastic character who is somehow you know goes from being maybe the least likable character in the movie to one of the most sympathetic characters around meanwhile you have Woody Harrelson who has had a pretty incredible year up to this point who gets a lot more to do than I thought he was going to and you know he's not as big a presence in this movie as I expected uh, it's I think the trailer kind of makes him out to be the number two in this movie next to Francis McDormand and he's really more like the number three I think this is more definitely more of Sam Rockwell's movie than Woody Harrelson's but his you know even the moments when Woody Harrelson isn't there he gets a lot of meaty kind of a voiceover thing that they give him at times and you know he has a strong character that's he's not really a bad guy you know you get Francis McDormand effectively like calling him out and saying he's not doing his job and you know it's it's far more complicated than that it's not black and white there's definitely a lot of gray area and the movie doesn't make it easy for you to kind of parse through these these difficult not only ideologies but but as as well just situations and thought experiments almost uh, because yeah it, it sucks and it's really shitty what happened to Frances McDormand's daughter, Angela. But even still, you have... It's it's not like Woody Harrelson's been doing nothing. It's not like he hasn't gone through the case. It's not like he hasn't gone step by step through what's happened and tried to figure out what you know who did it and where they are now and, and looked for evidence, you know? And so... You know, it's difficult to really pick a side, and while I think the movie encourages you to be on Frances McDormand's side, because she's the main character, and because you you kind of see this entire experience, an entire unfolding of events through her eyes, it doesn't make it any less gray, the fact that, you know, Woody Harrelson is doing things he has taken steps toward figuring this out and it's only because of uh just like as they say in the movie like it's only because of a lack of evidence really that prevents the sort of case from being solved and i mean that's kind of how it works you know if there's nothing to go on like how are you supposed to figure it out and 
it's kind of infuriating and frustrating for Woody Harrelson's character because like he doesn't really have any leads he doesn't have anything he can do and that sort of leads the film into this this weird place where you know that there needs to be some sort of a justice justice served and yet you also kind of have to sympathize with the police and then what they're going through because they don't really have anything they can do they they you know, and, and the solutions that Francis McDormand puts forth are, are absurd and, and ridiculous. Whether or not they would even work uh, is even a point of contention. So there's, there's problems, and the film doesn't make it easy to figure out what the solutions would be. And even, I think, as I, I would interpret, that even by the end of the movie, we don't know what the solutions would be. And sort of the events that are going to unfold after the uh, movie goes to dark are, are are even suspect and questionable in and of themselves to the point where the characters aren't sure that they're going to do what they have kind of set out to do. And I, I, I appreciate the fact that the movie doesn't paint this one way or the other. I appreciate the fact that the movie and that Three Billboards gives us this opportunity to kind of decide for ourselves whose side we want to be on and decide for ourselves whether or not a particular person deserves a particular punishment and if you can redeem and respect a character for some of the things that they've done and it's, you know, it's it's all of these characters are very gray in their presentation and that's to the movie's credit. That's what a good character is. They're not black or white, you know, there are gray to one degree or another. And so, moving on from, from character-specific stuff, you know, I think all the characters, the main characters are all great, uh, the pro- performances are all fantastic, you know, Frances McDormand and Sam Rockwell are just absolutely in- stunning, and I, I really hope that they show up throughout the award season, and, uh, you know, I, I have got them in my own predictions at the moment. Uh, or not, I guess I wouldn't call them predictions. I have them in my own awards uh, right right now. Because, let me look at this right here. Uh, I have three billboards in for Prince McDormand. I have it for Sam Rockwell. Uh, I have it for screenplay. And I have it for best scene as well. Uh, the scene in question is... There's a couple of fires in the movie, uh, and and this involves one of them. I won't go into any more detail than that because it's kind of a spoiler, but it is a hilarious, vis- visibly visibly hilarious scene that is uh, also countermanded by um, some pretty dramatic and and emotional speaking by one of the other characters. So you'll probably know it when you see it. It's, it's fantastic, and one of my favorite scenes of the year, easily my favorite scene in the movie. So, I have that. Uh, so, four, four nominations at the moment for three billboards, uh, and it looks like one of the stronger contenders of the year at the moment, but as, as is always the case, like there's plenty of opportunity for any movie to kind of get the shaft, almost. Um, it doesn't make picture or director for me, uh, I think, I think the movie is really good. I, I it, it's at the moment my number three as far as McDonough is concerned. I think it's a little bit behind in Bruges and a bigger step behind Seven Psychopaths. Again, I do need to rewatch Seven Psychopaths because 
as high as it on it as I may be, uh, that might be have I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. it. It might just be kind of my reaction to that movie immediately, and I, I wouldn't I didn't like let it sit with me at all, and I haven't revisited it, and it's been like five years since I've seen the movie, or however long it's been since it came out, and I would like to kind of take a look at that a second time. Um, because if it is as funny as I thought it was, maybe, I mean, it might deserve the rating I've given. I gave it a 95. That's really, really high. And I think I've only trended it upwards since, uh, since I've seen it. And I've only seen it once, so it may, whether or not it's still the, my favorite McDonough movie, don't, I don't know. But, uh, I should probably take a look at it again, given how, just, I don't know. I, anytime I, there's a movie where my opinion is so drastically different from kind of popular consensus. I'd like to revisit it to see if, if my opinion is still valid, I suppose. And I find that it's about 50-50. Like, half of the times I, I still agree with myself, and the other half of the times I'm like, well, I, I kind of temper my, my response a little bit. So I'm curious to see which way Seven Psychopaths lands on that respect. Uh directing. I think McDonough's directing is pretty good in this. It's not very flashy. It's, you know, I don't think his directing is particularly his strong point. He's more, uh, if you, like, like Kenneth Lonergan with Manchester by the Sea, he is much more of a writer than a director, in my opinion, and his writing kind of is the backbone of this movie. Uh, it looks great. There are a lot of great shots of the billboards themselves that are, fan that are, they're beautiful, and uh, a lot of kind of smoky, foggy stuff that looks great and it's it's probably more likely to show up for those categories uh in the award circuit than it is for me i i don't i mean it's already not going to show up in picture director for me but i think that those are still strengths of the movie this mm, i'd probably say that in bruges is still the better directed film in my opinion i think he has less less to work with in in bruges and he makes the most out of it by comparison uh there's just not much of a plot to in bruges and he's able to put together this fantastic film that just works you know and and three billboards has much more of a plot it has much very much more varied characters in it in my opinion and so it's not as difficult to craft these scenarios that are compelling and interesting and and worthwhile and so I, I do think as good as Three Billboards Direction is, I tend, you know, I think In Bruges was better. And so that being said, uh, Three Billboards, as I mentioned, is not in my best picture race, which means it's not one of my top five movies of this year. It does currently rank number 10th. Uh, it comes in just behind Coco and just ahead of Briggsby Bear. Uh, so it is still currently in my top 10 and uh, will likely remain in my top 20 till the end of the year. I fully expect that. And it's it's really good. Uh, my biggest points of distraction are, one, I kind of mentioned the characters, and some of them are kind of very much the butt of a joke, and that's all they're there for. Uh, I would kind of include Peter Dinklage in this. His character is, is kind of uh, superfluous and... You know, whatever function his character does serve can be f served in, in a multitude of other ways. Uh, likewise, I think the film itself f uh, feels 
there are just some disjointed moments in this movie. There's a scene where Frances McDormand is in, I guess she works at a gift shop, and uh, a patron enters, and there's sort of a confrontation between the two of them, which literally comes out of nowhere, and the scene that that scene sets up later, I think was not, I don't I don't like that setup for that moment. I think that that's not a strong payoff. I don't think that that works for me. I mean, it doesn't work for me in that sense. And that character, I don't like that character. I don't like that actor. And the way that it's exposed, you know, that kind of might be one one of the other instances where not a multi, multi-dimensional character, also not a character that is shown to be gray. They're quite clearly, like, all the way on the black side of that spectrum which is pop problematic in the in the terms and contents of the movie. So I find that strange. Uh, Sandy Martin, who plays Sam Rockwell's mom, I wasn't sure, like, what her deal was supposed to be. Like, she's clearly this kind of old racist woman who sees the world one way. But some of the things that, like, she says, I just, I can't picture coming out of anybody's mouth. Uh... And, like, not even, like, they're not racist things necessarily. Like, some of them are just responses and reactions to, like, the situations in Sam Rockwell's life. And I'm like, what? How how can you possibly say that? Like, I don't understand, the, like, anybody really having that opinion on anything in the world. And so, like, that really took me out of the movie at times. Uh, but, so, I I don't know. To some degree, a little bit nitpicky, but I think this movie is still great. Uh, I, I don't have any qualms about it, you know, continuing to pop up an award circuit for people to praise it, for people to love it, people to think it's the best movie of the year. It's not, I, I don't detract away from it so much that I think it's not worthy of that praise from some people, but uh, I kind of would be disappointed if this did turn out to be our best picture winner. I think that there are a lot of better films and uh, probably will be even more by the time we get to Oscar night. So as far as that goes, I'm just kind of tempering my own response. You know, I was kind of, I, I don't know, I kind of get caught up in that momentum. And then I was like, oh, wow. So this is the new, this is like our front runner this year at the moment, you know, until we kind of get a grip on whether the post is going to be worthwhile or not. And now I'm not so sure. Now I don't think that's the case. So that's kind of how I feel about Three Billboards. Not going to do any spoilers for this because we have something else to talk about. And that is Fantasy Movie League. We have just finished the uh, the 13th week of the Fall 2017 season. We have just finished the Fall 2017 season as it stands. And we now have a winner. Uh, so let's go into the Fantasy Movie League update for the final time in fall 2017. I mean, how hard can that be? The fall 2017 season has finally ended. It has been a long and grueling 13 weeks that started out very bumpy, very rocky for a lot of people. We saw roadblocks thrown up almost every week after week one. 
the double Friday play uh, on it in week two was a pretty substantial hurdle for a lot of people to get over. Uh, we had Blade Runner and Battle of the Sexes both underperform drastically. Uh, you can you can go to week number six where uh, while it was still a solid play, uh, the seven times My Little Pony lineup uh, failed to break out the way that a lot of people expected it to. Uh, but at the end of the day, this was one of the most perfect Cineplex prevalent seasons uh, that our league has ever had. And I believe, in fact, that collectively we had the most perfect Cineplexes uh, of any season. If you go back to the first full season of the league, was back was a year ago fall 16 there were four total perfect cineplexes in the entire league four uh, going into awards number season 17 uh, there were 11 total perfect cineplexes uh, things took a big dip in the spring as there was a total of six between everybody uh, and then last season summer 17 we broke out and had a total of 22 perfect cineplexes across the entire league, which is quite good. This year, uh, we eclipsed that number and had a record-breaking 26 perfect cineplexes across the entire league, with seven people getting multiple perfect cineplexes. Uh, it was it was pretty good. Uh, weeks 7, 9, 12, and 13 all saw four or more perfect cineplexes. Weeks 9 and 12, uh, both had six, which matches the largest number of perfect cineplexes in our league to date. And it's, you know, that's a great sign, not just for those particular people, but just for the league as a whole. It, it, you know, this shows that, in my opinion, the league is getting stronger, the league is getting better. Uh, we have, uh, in the past, um, you know, just looking at the progression from Fall 16, we, the you know, the winner of Fall 16 finished outside the top 500 in the site. Uh, and then you have four people in the top 1,000 uh, in awards season 17. Five people in the top 1,000 in spring 17 with two people in the top 200. Uh, you have four people in the top 350 in summer 17. And this season sees two of our people, two people in our league in the top 100 players in the entire site with a total of seven players in the top thousand in the entire site that is phenomenal and that is incredible that's a great progression we have done so well and i'm super pleased with everybody you know myself uh, kill music uh, rybone shawbin uh, newcomers to this season raman and director's cut uh, Perennial fifth place finisher, Perksplex, uh, Yo JRB, Kirsten H. Jensen, um, leader for two weeks in Fall 17, Xanadu. Uh, you know, just everybody has put, had put in a lot of work and made a lot of strides and improved, in, in my opinion, uh, as, if they've stuck it out. You know, there are a lot of people who have kind of dropped off and fallen by the wayside as we've gone through the seasons. Um, to name, you know, it seems as though there are three people this season uh, that have played at one point or another and uh, have since left the game in some capacity. Uh, Eric 
is one, he only played from week 7 to 12, or not necessarily played, but only received uh, points from weeks 7 to 12, uh, as well as Swagner and Row 3 Cinema 8, who only got credit for points during the first three weeks of the season, and not again after that. So, seems as though we've lost a couple people in the way, but we have gained new ones, and uh, hopefully we can continue to grow and evolve and mature as a league going forward. All of that being said, uh, not only uh, I mean, not only have we all improved, but we have also broken a few records along the way. Fall 2017 uh, is now the uh, home of the highest overall finish by a single player ever. And uh, in fact, that record was broken by two players this season. Uh, but Kill Music uh, wins out in that regard, finishing 62nd in the entire site uh, and becoming the uh, first person to... Um, how, do I, how do I phrase this? Uh, Kill Music is the only person to have played a full season and finish in the top 100 in our league to date. Uh, Director's Cut missed week one, uh, ultimately finished 97th in the site, but uh, did not contend in the Cinerealist League for all 13 weeks. And so we'll hope to improve upon that next season. Speaking of Director's Cut, uh, they also they have broken the record of the highest finish in a season with a week where they've scored zero points. Uh, that record was previously held in the awards season 2017 by the box officer who missed both weeks one and two, yet still finished 13th overall in our league uh, and, act and even finished, uh, well, I guess this also, I mean, they, they, they had played in those previous weeks in this site, just not in our league, uh, finishing 4,000, just outside the top 4,000 in the site, um, which is about 3,000 spots higher than where they finished, would have finished based on the raw money they earned in our league. Director's Cut uh, kind of blew, blew that record out of the water and, and finished fourth place, missing one week, which is phenomenal. Absolutely outstanding. Uh, let's see, moving on, we have... Um, the most, uh, we, we, let's see, we also have Kill Music breaking the record for the smallest number of weeks won in a season in which they were the winner. Uh, zero. Kill Music won zero weeks outright this season. Now, that being said, they had three perfect cineplexes this season, uh, simply missing the weeks one stat by sake of lock time. And that's, uh, I mean, that's that's how that works, though. So zero weeks won, still won the season, an impressive statistic uh, that will never be beaten, essentially. Uh, different facets of it might be beaten um, as far as, you know, smallest number of perfect cineplexes, smallest number of best performers in a winning season. Those statistics are still held by Chauvin from spring 2017, but Kill Music did not win a single week. And more to the point, uh, second place finisher um, Rybone also did not win a single week. Fourth place finisher Director's Cut 
did also not win a week. So this, it, it's, it's fascinating because, you know, you have, um, let's see here, Perksplex won twice, Rahman won two weeks, Xanadu won two weeks, YoJRB won two weeks, Perksplex finished fifth, Rahman finished seventh, Xanatu finished ninth, YoJRB finished fifteenth, and they all won multiple weeks of the of the season. That means that you know whatever risks they took worked for them on those weeks in particular, but they could not sustain enough. You know, you know, I don't know what you want to call it. You know, they couldn't sustain a hedge for enough weeks. They couldn't you know, play it safe enough times to ensure that they stayed towards the top of the rankings, you know, they took too many big swings, and they'd only worked out for them a couple of times, you know, who's to say how that worked out ultimately. Uh, Those are kind of questions that, you know, you have to go back to the drawing board and see, you know, how could I win more weeks than the winner of the season and still finish so much further below them? Uh, you know, I'm asking myself the same question. I won three weeks this season, the most out of any person in the league, and finished in third. And my biggest, my biggest frustration is that I wish I had played seven My Little Ponies because I, if all things else staying the same, which they ultimately probably wouldn't have because scores would have been d- d- adjusted, but all things staying the same, if that week were adjusted and I'd played seven My Little Ponies, like, I would have been in first place this season. So, you know, it, it eats at you. It really does. It eats at you. Uh, so, like I mentioned, I had three weeks won this season, which uh, brings my sum total of that stat to 16. Uh, highest in the league. Kill Music is in second with 11, uh, winning zero this season. Rybone has won six. Shalman, five. Xanadu and YobJRB both have won four. Moving on to best performers now. Uh, Kill Music won this season with 27 best performers. Uh, the record for lowest number of best performers in a season that has been won is 20. The record for most best performers in a season is 38. Uh, I won the most best performers this season with 33, uh, which was, you know, still... A th- quite a bit of ways off and that was with I think it took me until week five or six to hit a best performer once so uh, definitely a lot of missed opportunities in that respect Um, but that pushes the total sum best performers in league history Uh, I edge out Q music by four in that statistic Uh, I've had 147 Q music has had 143 Rybones 135 Shaubin 124 Perksplex, 93, and then everybody else is uh, below 70. So a little bit of a drop-off there. Um, perfect Cineplexes. Uh, I mentioned that we had a lot this season. We, we surely did. Everyone in the top seven had multiple Perfect Cineplexes. Everyone in the top six had at least three. Uh, so Q Music, Rybone, Plexi, Director's Cut, Perksplex, and Shawman all had at least three Perfect Cineplexes. Uh, Director's Cut actually won this season in that respect with five. That is the ties for the second highest number of perfect cineplexes. Kill Music had five back in Awards 17. 
but Rybone leads all challengers with seven in summer 17 season. Uh, a stat that may never, it's going to be a while before that's broken, I, I think, in my opinion. But Drexler's kind of had five. Rybone and Plexi both had four. And uh, Kill Music, Shawbin, and Perksplex each pulled in three. Uh, now, interesting here, the record for most perfect cineplexes in a row is three, held in held jointly by uh, myself from weeks 11 through 13 during the fall 2016 season, and Kill Music during weeks 11 through 13 in the awards 17 uh, awards 17 season. And so both of those streaks uh, between myself and Kill Music were carried from the end of one season into another. And both of us failed to increase that streak into a new season. At the end of the fall 2017 season, we have four people heading into week heading into week one of awards 2018 with a two uh, perfect cineplexes in a row streak. Kill Music, Rybone, Plexi, and Director's Cut. Uh, four uh, four people have the uh, have the chance and opportunity to tie the longest streak in our league uh, in this first week of the 2018 awards season. It'll be interesting to see uh, how many of them even have a chance once you know the Saturday estimates come out and see if we can uh, tie and potentially even break that record by uh, the end of week two. Huh, man, uh, end of the season, lot to get through. Uh, Q Music won the season, as I've mentioned. Uh, his total sum was $1,261,821,892. That is not the highest total ever, and uh, I don't think it even makes top 5 or 6. Or 10, maybe. Uh, if you took that exact number and ported it back into the Summer 17 season, he would have finished 5th. Uh, if you go to se- Spring 2017... That would have been a fifth place finish as well. Uh, in the awards 17 season, it would have been fourth. Uh, and in the fall 2016 season, it would have won. Uh, that's the only season besides this current one that he would have won with that exact number. Now, obviously, seasons fluctuate based on the movies that come out. You know, you would expect summer to be bigger. Uh, but it also has to do with the, the pricing and how close, how where the bonus bar ends up. You know, if the bonus bar is always 100k, then you've got yourselves, you know, a a, a season where you're probably finishing, you know, 1.3, 1.4 billion, depending on your bonuses. Uh, this season was on track to finish much much lower until week 12, where we saw wonder just destroy projections and give anyone who picked wonder at least 200 million dollars that week that was the big difference maker however despite the fact that relatively speaking uh, kill music score was lower than what we've seen in the past uh, he did pull in 90.31 percent of what a perfect season would have been and that is the fourth time that that has happened Uh, he's done it before back in awards 17 with 91.4% Shaubin did it in summer 17 with 90.07% and Rybone also did it in summer 17 with 91.97% so this is the fourth time someone has broken that record he does not 
uh, exceed Rybone's uh, uh, record holding 91.97% of as the closest to perfect season that we've ever had. Uh, but we can keep on trying, you know, that's, you know, 91.97 is very high. Uh, you know, you look at, you know, if you look at the main chatter and see the PC percentage statistics, um, I think the top, the leaders in that are in like the mid 94% range. So like, there's not a lot of wiggle room left. You cannot afford a single, you know, blunder there along the way to hit that percentage. You know, it's, it's very difficult. And, uh, it's, that's why we, we haven't done it very often. We barely break 90 sometimes. We had six other people besides Kill Music finish above 80% this season. Rybon and Plexi both exceeded 89% and were nearly at 90%. Uh, they did pretty much all they could in the last two weeks, hitting Perfect Cineplexes both times. Director's Cut and Perksplex both finished around 85%. Uh, while Shaban and Rahman both finished around 82%. So strong showings from all of those all those guys. All of those guys. Uh, I guess I should mention that the Week 13 Perfect Cineplex was seven screens of Murder on the Orient Express, which won Best Performer, and one screen of The Star. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess that's worth mentioning. Why wouldn't it be? And finally, the most important statistic, one that was prophesized to have been broken at the beginning of the season, uh, is the number of wins. And that's Kill Music, who now holds that record by themselves with two. He is, he's the only person to have won two seasons uh, in our league. He won the Awards 2017 season and has now won the Fall 2017 season. Uh, it was surmised... Uh, before the season even started, that one of the following four, Plexi, Kiel Music, Shawbin, or Rybone, would finish the finish this season with a second win. And despite the fact that Xanadu started out with a very strong uh, first couple of weeks, uh, it looks like this was going to be a much more... Uh, up and down, and um, how do I how do I, I don't know how to say it. Um, it was going to be a much more climactic season than expected. Uh, but then, about the week eight or nine period, it kind of we kind of solidified ourselves into this three-way battle between Kill Music, myself, and Rybone, and everyone else was kind of. Uh, scrambling to finish in the top 10 behind us. And uh, I can't remember precisely if that's exactly how previous seasons have gone. Um, looking at Summer 17, it was pretty much Rybone, Shalvin, Plexi, and Q Music from the beginning in 2017. Uh, going back to Spring 17, Shalvin led the entire season. Uh, Award 17 was... Plexi for five weeks, and then Kill Music for the remaining eight. And Fall 16 was the last season that was really up and down, as uh, Kill Music was leading week one, Shaobin led after week two, Plexi was leading from weeks three till seven, uh, Yo GRB was leading at, during week eight, 
Swagner led from week 9 to 12, and then Plexi reclaimed the lead and won the season in week 13. So uh, it's it's been quite some time since we've seen the lead change hands uh, in the back half of the season. Um, and in fact, it's only, fall 16 is the only season where the leader at week 6 was not had the lost the lead between then and the end of the season. Uh, so we'll see if the awards 18 season, now that Rahman and director's cut have the, you know, are, are able to start in week one, if we'll get a little bit more of a dynamic scoring system, we'll see if the lineup variation can be significant enough so that, you know, the top six people don't all play the same lineup every week. Fingers crossed, I guess. So, uh, with that being said, uh, we now look ahead to the awards 2018 season. Uh, it is, I, I would say that the award season was my least favorite during 2017. I don't like tracking expansions and, uh, awards movies and slow rollouts. I find that tedious and it makes like the days of the week before Thursday when the theater counts come out far less exciting because there's much less to do because there's just so much up in the air question marks as far as I'm concerned but it is more challenging you know you know if you're if you're able to track those you know if you're able to comp movies correctly then that's you know the biggest the biggest deal and that's really what's going to propel you to victory and that's how Kill Music did it back last year uh so We'll see who can start off on the right foot this week, uh, where there are literally no new movies. And the slate represents that by adding two movies at the bottom of the list, uh, Wonder Wheel and The Disaster Artist. So theater counts are going to be incredibly important for not only those movies, but Call Me By Your Name, Three Billboards, and Lady Bird, uh, just to figure out you know who's going to which movie's going to break out and what we're going to end up with uh, as a best performer. So, all that being said, if you would like to join the Cinerealist Fantasy Movie League, you may do so. Uh, go to Fantasy Movie League. Find the Cinerealist uh, group. You can, I believe, search for groups. Uh, just search Cinerealists. And I believe that the password is still hey guys think hey guys no no spaces and join if you have not joined already if you've been playing and not join i encourage you to do so because those are the people whose statistics i track and the more people there are the more statistics and the happier i'll be uh, but this isn't just about me uh you can also just join for the fun of it if you've never played before uh take the opportunity this is the first week of a new season uh, get in at the ground floor and see if you've got some beginner's luck and try to learn as much as you can as fast as you possibly can. I think that's it. And so uh, thank you for listening. It's been fun. And uh, if you would like to hear more and learn more about the show, about me, about the podcast, about the statistics, the spreadsheet, whatever head over to circleoffilm.com. If you'd like to send me any comments, concerns, questions, or answers, your top 100 or 
X number of movies list. Send that to circleoffilm at gmail.com, accepting all submissions. And if you'd like to support the show in any way, shape, or form, you may do so at patreon.com slash circleoffilm. Thank you so much, and as always, have a week. So long, She'll never leave me Even as she fails